The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Jonathan Arney. Jonathan is a partner uh, at the... Law firm of Shepard Mullen, um, and uh, it's been a while since Jonathan's been on the show, so it's a great opportunity to catch up with him. Uh, Jonathan, uh, once again, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be back. It's always one of my favorite things to do. Well, yeah, and as I mentioned, it's been a while since you've been on, so, um, you know, kind of, uh, what have you been up to over the last few months, <laughs> a year? <laughs> he, he, he says tongue-in-cheekly. Um Yes, well, as as you know, and I think as a lot of folks know, I've uh, I've had a little medical adventure uh, on on November twenty first last year, twenty twenty two. Out of the blue, I was diagnosed with acute leukemia, and um, a, a rather aggressive kind, as it turns out. So that's kind of dominated my life since uh, literally since November twenty first. Um, um, I I. Yeah, that's kind of been everything. Right. And I think we're, you know, this is now we're in the middle of May. And, um, you know, I I understand there was, you know, some sort of bell ringing event. Can you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) Then we can circle back and talk about um, your journey as a a whole so far. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I like that. It's like in the movies where they do this thing and then the flashback. Right. Um, Yeah. So, you know what, when I was. So I, I'm, I, I go to uh, Johns Hopkins uh, Cancer Center, and uh, I, I heard people reference this thing about uh, ringing a bell when you're discharged from the daily hospital visits. And, and I, I always thought it was kind of metaphorical. Like, I didn't know you actually ring a bell. And, and, and just uh, like two weeks ago, the, you know, one of my doctors said to me, hey, you know, your, your, your numbers are rebounding really well, and there's a good chance you're going to ring the bell next week, which would be last week. And, and I said, wait, you, you mean there's an actual bell? <laughs> so, yes, there is. There's a, there's a big bell in the cancer center, and, and when, you're, you know, when you're through with the, 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 the bulk of the uh, inpatient treatment and you are, at least for now, cancer-free, uh, when you walk out the door, you ring that bell as loudly as you can. And yeah, I just did that on Thursday. It was pretty emotional, actually. I can imagine. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. On, on <laughs> ringing that bell. Um, and I know we're all happy to hear that. Um, so that's, um, you know, sort of the culmination of one part of your journey that began on November 21st of last year. You know, I guess that's, you know, what a Thanksgiving kind of to... <laughs> to, to, right? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, right. Christmas, and and I'll t- I mean, if you really want a flashback, it's kind of a weird story, like what November twenty first and the days preceding it was like, because it was, it was just something, you know, you can't you can't contemplate. So I I, right. I, I don't know if you if you want to hear that story, but I'm, I'm yeah. happy to share how I found out about this. Yeah, I think that would be good because you know. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, in in my life at one point along the way, you know, I 
had a situation and I was told it was one thing and thank God it turned out to be, but, but I was told it was one thing, um, <laughs> you know, cancer. And then, uh, and then you know, ultimately it turned out not to be, but that yeah, just thankfully. feeling you get in your, you know, just, I just remember how I felt and you went through, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, you know, the, the, you know, just the, con- that context in, in what, what you went through. So, and I, I think it would be great to hear about those days and just what, um, w- what it was like to hear about that. Sure. I think. No, I mean, it, 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 and it proves how oblivious I was to this whole kind of world. So, so before the 21st, like a week before I was, I, I have a little, a little cabin and I go there and I like do things that aren't very, um, what anyone would think of me, you know, like I, I move brush from one pile to another and I chop wood and I, I'm like the George Bush of, of this little, little cabin. And so I'm out there and I'm, pla- I'm planting some tall grasses with, uh, with a friend and, and he's doing all the hard work. He digs the hole. I put in a grass and then literally I have to go sit down a- after like five minutes of just camping in this, this tall grass, I go sit down because I'm exhausted. He's like, wait, what's wrong? He's like, I, I, and I said, I, I don't know. I'm just exhausted. It kept happening over the course of that day. Um, this was a week before the 21st. And so I was worried, but I figured, you know, I'm whatever. I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. I, uh, I figured it's you know, maybe long COVID, maybe one of these heart things people get. I, I didn't know what it was. But I was also in the middle of a big classified protest. So I went back to work that week. I was in a skiff the whole week, so I wasn't moving around a lot. So there was no chance to be exhausted. But I did start getting a headache, uh, which I just attributed to the skiff. Anyway, that next weekend, now this is the weekend immediately before the 21st. I'm back at the cabin, and and now I am so exhausted, I cannot walk from my house to the garage. I can't walk upstairs without having to lie down for 10 minutes. And and you know me, Roger. I got I got a pretty high energy level. So, yes, you do. So this was <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So this was really, really strange, and it was so strange that I said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to my doctor on Monday." So I make an appointment. I go see my doctor. He runs a blood test. This is literally on the 21st. Uh, he runs a blood test. He comes back in, and he says, "Hey, Jonathan, how long have we known each other?" I'm like, "A long time, Matt." He said, well, I got to tell you, uh, I have never seen blood this bad in my entire career. And, and I said, what does that mean? He said, he said, it means something's really wrong. And I'm like, well, okay, I, I need a word. Like, like, like put a word with this, right? Right. You're and a lawyer. Said, put a word he, to it. <laughs> right, right. I, I need, like, really wrong doesn't help me, Matt. And, and he said, I think you have leukemia. And literally, my response was, I don't have leukemia. I'm a grown-up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he tells me, he said, a normal person has a white blood cell, white blood cell count of between, like, 6,000 and 10,000. And my white blood cell count was 140,000. In, in other words, like, if I didn't immediately go to the hospital, my organs would have started to shut down or something. Yeah. So he says to me, he says, I want you to go home. I want you to pack a bag. You're going to Hopkins tonight. 
and, and I, of course, say, but, but I have work tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he said, he said, no, you, you don't. You've got to go back to the skiff. <laughs> right. right. Well, thank God that was filed. <laughs> right. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and and he, he, said, um, he said, no, you don't. So, so I go to my car. I, I mean, if I'm being candid, I cry in the car for like a good 15 minutes trying to figure out how I'm going to tell my wife. Yeah. Right. And I finally gain my composure, drive home. <laughs> I, I practice how I'm going to tell my wife this in the car so I could finally say it without crying. I get in the house. The moment I see her, I break down like a little baby. <laughs> I mean, I, if I had only seen myself on video, I am like, I'm crying so bad that I can't get the words out to tell her what's wrong. So, of course, she's freaking out. Anyway, I think I finally write it down on a piece of paper. I think I write down like leukemia or something like that. Yeah. And and I say we have to go to Hopkins right now. So um, I go up. I I pack a. He told me to pack a bag and go to Hopkins. So I put like two pair of boxer shorts, a pair of sweatpants, and a t-shirt, and a book in case I'm there overnight in a bag, and we drive to Hopkins. Right. So this shows how little I know. Um, I get there with my you know overnight stay bag and they tell me I'm going to be there for 30 days and I was I was literally in the in the leukemia wing of Hopkins for the first phase of this for from November 21st to December 21st never left the hospital wow that's how it started I don't even know where to go go from that I know (laughs) I mean it's did so did you immediately I assume that night you had key, you you had chemo or did they? Oh, that's so that's that's an interesting question, and it, I, it's a little bit of a blur. Um, but I'm pretty sure I was on what they call high dose chemo the next day. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know when I got there, they ran all this blood work in, and it turns out I not only had astronomically high white blood cell count, but I had astronomically low red blood cells and hemoglobin and platelets and, and just, just everything was, I mean, they were very nervous. Let's put it that way. Like looking back on it, they, I, I'm lucky I'm so oblivious sometimes because they, they were much more nervous about everything than, than I knew to be. Um, right. So that, so that next day they did, they put me on the high dose chemo, which I admit wasn't totally fun. Um, not, my body tolerated it pretty well and, you know, it's, it's, and I'm, uh, I don't know, I, I, you know me, I kind of like view everything as a new exciting adventure. And, and, and that, that trait of mine, which annoys the heck out of everybody, um, it probably was a very good trait in this setting. Because, you know, I, I, I kind of went through this with, a, I think, a very healthy attitude. Um, even mm-hmm. though other people would have looked at me and said, God, you look horrible. I, you know, I, I felt like, everything was going to work out. Right. Um, but right. the high dose, the high dose chemo did have some side effects that weren't particularly fun. Well, what, well, Jonathan, we're at the break. When we come back, we'll yep. continue talking about your journey um, <laughs> over the last geez, Now it's November to May. It's <laughs> seven, eight months. Um, and, um, you know, also six, uh, six months. Uh, well, well, um, yeah, that's right. End of public end math. Of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Always correcting me, Jonathan. Some things never change. Uh, um, no, no, it's good. Um, and I know you're feeling better. Um, but um, and then at some point we'll talk about an article you wrote um, with regard to 
uh, a note to young professionals. Sp- time, oh, yes. Spend awesome. time with your family. Me. We'll talk about that a little bit. <laughs> and towards the end, you know, I know from our previous conversations, you're doing a little bit of work and maybe we can talk just what's piquing your interest these days as you're looking over the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the good, the world of government contracts as it is. But my guest today is yep. Jonathan, is Jonathan Ernie. He's a partner at Shepard Mullen. I'm Roger Walder and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. My guest today is Jonathan Arney. Um, Jonathan is partner at Shepard Mullen. Uh, he's you know well known in the government contracts world and does a great um, session at our conference. Uh, lots of training sessions, done stuff on the COVID vaccine. Just over the years, all kinds of uh, great uh, information analysis and commentary on all kinds of government contract issues. And but today we're focusing on a on a more personal subject and, you know, Jonathan's journey in battling leuke- leukemia and, uh, and a lot of that battle, Jonathan, I know it's, you know, it uh, ultimately you're the one facing the challenge, but, you know, just across whether it's, you know, your law firm, uh, peers and, um, colleagues, uh, your family, you know, the Johns Hopkins folks, it is a team, um, effort in a lot of ways and a lot of things. And I think maybe this, we'll talk a little bit about that, but, um, when we, when we took the break, um, you, you know, you, 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 you just, you talked about how you just, you know, you thought you were going to be there for a day or so, and you got to Hopkins and you're there for 30 days for, you know, some really high level chemo, uh, to battle the leukemia. Um, but a lot goes on in a person's life. And, you know, one of the things I, I was thinking about was you're describing that all the logistics involved in just whether it's, you know, all the cases you were working on or leading at the firm, how did they handle it? And then, of course, we'll talk about family and, and the hospital itself. But just first of all, how, the you know, Shepard Mullen and your colleagues there, I mean, how would you let them know? And, you know, and how did how did everybody there kind of handle it and support you? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you asked me that because I, you know, I, I love my firm. I love Shepard Mullen. But, you know, I never how, you know, a big firm would handle something like this, right? I mean, when, you know, one of their earners calls up and says, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be out for six months. Like, what, what happens? And, and a couple of days into this, into my Hopkins stay, it, it occurred to me that I, I, I got to, I got to tell the firm what's going on. Um, I, I I just, I mean, I can barely say this without crying, but I could not have been happier. Like the first thing, the first thing the firm said to me was, don't worry about a thing. They, they said, we have everything non-health related taken care of. And that was just such a relief, right? Right. And then, right. And then I talked to my colleagues, many of whom you know, Ann Perry and uh, Ryan Roberts and, and, and David Douglas. And, and, and they said, don't worry about a thing we have all your cases taken care of. And, and just everyone's answer was the same thing. It was, I'm sorry, I'm emotional about this, but it's you, uh, you focus on your health because we want you back. Right. And what what a relief that was. Right. And and I, and I think about, I mean, God, I, I feel, I, I feel guilty in a sense that so many people across the world don't have that safety net and support network and how lucky, lucky, lucky I was to be at a place where 
where that's how I treat it. And, and literally, um, I didn't have to think about any of that. And my colleagues are, are all brilliant. Uh, most of them are smarter than me anyway. And they, and they handled my cases. Um, my clients were amazing. Uh, I asked, after my first week or two at Hopkins, I started working uh, a couple of hours a day. And, and not because I'm some masochist, but because that was the best way to take my mind off the you know potential terminal nature of my stay right and, yes and and so you know that that helped me a lot and you know i could check in on all my cases and meet with my colleagues but but i didn't they made it clear i, I didn't have to right so so i had this amazing support network at my office with with just the most amazing colleagues in the world i had an amazing you know firm that very correctly and and to this day they've honored it um told me i don't have to worry about anything except getting healthy um and then of course we'll, i know we'll get to it a little bit later but the family support i could not have done that without the family and friends so i i was very lucky um i that's the best thing i can say and and god the people at hopkins are just unbelievable can, can i give hopkins a plug is that allowed Oh, absolutely. Give anybody you want a plug, but I mean, but okay. I would just well, want to, before you do that, just say that it is, yeah. it's, it's fantastic to hear. And it is, you're, you're so right. There's so many people out there who don't necessarily, you know, when something like this happens to somebody, it's not just the person in the hospital, right? It's the family, it's the work, it's yep. all those things. And, you know, and, um, you know, I could say you're a lucky guy. It's a great firm and a great people. And, um, you know, and that support is something that we hope everyone would get in, in the same situation, but go ahead. Yes. And no, no, I, and I would, I, I know what people look at me quizzically when I say how lucky I am, but I, that's exactly how I feel. I feel I'm unbelievably right. lucky and, um, just, you know, just on, on so many levels. So, stay at Hopkins for those first 30 days was only stay. So the, the way it works is you stay for the 30 days inpatient, and then they give you a little medical holiday. So I get to go home for, for the holidays, actually, at, at times where I was out on December 21st. I get to spend a, a couple weeks off any medication. Then, and it was around that time where they, they told me that because of my particularly aggressive kind of leukemia, the only thing that will save my life is a, um, is a stem cell transplant. And so I didn't know what that was, but that scared the heck out of me. The thought of that, I kind of pictured, you know, like me and someone lying side by side with those like blood transfusion devices you see in the movie. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I had no, I, no idea what, what any of this was about. And, and the one time, this is kind of funny, the one time over the course of those first 30 days that I started reading about um, uh, AML split 3 leukemia, which is my kind, like 15 minutes into it, it I just was horrified at, the, at how bad it is and how bad the numbers are. I stopped reading, and I, and I refused to read anything else about it. <laughs> go, no, go ahead. I was going to say that was probably wise. Like, you know, I know, I, yeah. I know, the, I know the inquisitive uh, legal mind wants to know and understand everything, but, you know, there's, there's some no, things not, that... Not this, that yeah, not there's some things that mind. could cloud your mind and not necessarily help, you know, as you're going battling things like this, right? Right. I have a I have a very practical view of things. Is is me gaining this knowledge going to help in any way? Because if it's going to help in any way, 
then I'm in, right? Right. But if it's not going to help, then there's no reason to add like depression on top of the health issue. So anyway, I stopped reading about that. It's enough to know it's potentially fatal. Like how much more do you really need to know? So, so then they start telling me about this stem cell transplant. And this was pretty amazing. And I definitely can't tell the story without crying. So I'm just going to tell you a piece of it. But um, it, it, it turns out that my, uh, my daughter is a match for my stem cells. And so my, um, my 21-year-old daughter is my donor. Fantastic. And that was, that, was a, yeah, that was a pretty big, big day when it turned out she was a match. So then after that little medical holiday, everything else was kind of focused on that, right? Getting, getting rid of the leukemia I have and then figuring out how to get her stem cells. Well, they obviously know how to do this, but me contemplating her stem cells are somehow going to end up in my body, in my bone, and start producing healthy blood cells. And so after this little medical holiday, there's a second stay at Hopkins for like two weeks. They call that a consolidation round. And then, then you really start getting ready for the transplant, um, which is not as I pictured it, by the way. And um, uh, amazingly, that um, it, it works. Right. The, so the, the process is, is kind of weird, though, because in order for – like, like w when they put her stem cells in my body, my body thinks it's an invading force of these, you know, 21-year-old wily stem cells. So my body, my white blood cells start attacking them mercilessly. So the right. way they solve that, and this, this is not particularly fun, but the way they solve it is before they give me the transplant, they give me uh, full body uh, irradiation. Um, which is, is what it sounds like. You like lie on a table and you get irradiated for whatever it is an hour. Uh, and that, that like weakens my whole immune system, right? It, it, it just kills all my stuff. So then, then when they put in her stem cells, they have a fighting chance. And then three days after that, they, um, they hit me with the highest dose of chemo that they've hit me with yet. And that doesn't hurt her stem cells, but it really wipes out any remaining my cells. Mm -hmm. Now, this is all great for getting the stem cell transplant to work, but it, it, I mean, the only way to say it is like it nearly kills you, right? If it weren't for the transplant, you would die from the procedure. Right. Um, yes. So, you know, so because you have no you know, immune system is, left, right? Right, right. You got nothing. Right. You got, in fact, and from my joke in the, in, well, I was in ICU for a few days, and, and my joke there was like, I'm going to be the one lawyer that actually does die from a paper cut because these like have you have no platelets at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you know you you go through it, and you know my daughter is probably the proudest kid in the world. Uh, how many kids get to say they saved dad's life? Right, right. And right. you know, and I'm I'm pretty proud of her myself. Right, and that's a great place to take a break, Jonathan. When we come back, we can talk some more about. Um, you know, just the, we, you know, we talk some more about the folks at Johns Hopkins and more about your family. Yes. And also, I'm just curious too, we can, when we come back, just how, like physically, how are you feeling during this whole sure. thing? Cause you said you had your third, you know, you did your 30 days and you had two weeks off. Do you, I mean, are you that, mm -hmm. just of interest anyway? Okay. My guest today is Jonathan Erny. He is a, uh, a partner at Shepard Mullen. I'm Roger Walder and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. My guest today is Jonathan Erna. He's a partner at Shepard Mullen, and he just recently rang the bell at Johns Hopkins Unit uh, <laughs> Medical uh, Facilities. Um, and and we'll talk about Johns Hopkins in a minute. But I just, um, you know, one of the things I know that I can just, you know, just you can't put so- yourself in someone's shoes, but just thinking about what you what you go through, because as you said, right, this is this is like you go one way or the other in this situation, right? There's no middle ground, right? Yeah. Uh, right. You either. Yeah. Um, and just, and just from a physical perspective and mental perspective, you know, that, you know, six months, w- what is that like, you know, mm-hmm. to share for people? I think that would, there's so many people who have been, who have been through what you've been through can identify with it. And then those of us <clears throat> who have not just, it's, I think it's just be helpful and to hear. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I have to say that there are, there are a heck of a lot of people who have gone through worse things than I did. Um, and, and plus it's, it's all relative to every individual, right? To right. Th- this, this might be a big deal or not a big deal to someone. Um, you know, I, I, I'm definitely afraid of shots. So this mm-hmm. wasn't particularly fun for me, but, you know, but, but for, for other people, they're much worse for them. So I, I don't I don't want to at all suggest that I've been through anything worse than you know than than anyone else that has been through tough times. And sure. And in fact, I I um in many ways this wasn't as bad as I feared. Um. So first thirty days, according to my wife, at least I I looked like I was dying. Now I think she's exaggerating because I think I looked delightful, but but um well you said like you said everything's relative everybody's been right (laughs) right see what i mean yeah so Uh, you know i I do remember that you know it was hard to walk um it was hard to eat and 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 my doctor talks about um she calls them the the pesky uh pesky nuisances of leukemia (laughs) these are the things that like they don't kill you from the leukemia but these are the pesky side effects and nuisances from all the drugs you take and the chemo you know the, the fact that you, you you can't sleep and the fact that you know you're you're always running to the bathroom and the fact that you you know pins and needles in your arms and 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 to me to me those things were were manageable like I, I, it's weird because i you know i freak out over you know the shots and the biopsy which other people wouldn't be phased about but all these nuisances didn't bother me a lot um, but again, I'm told I look pretty, pretty crappy. Um, and then, and then as time went on, the, you kind of get used to some of these things, the, you know, the pesky nuisances continue. Uh, there's definitely, you know, a lot of, a lot of feelings of, of nausea and exhaustion. Um, they, they give you pills that handle the nausea really well, but the, the exhaustion, no, no pill handles that. And that's probably the most notable thing to me that that's still, that's still there. You just um because your hemoglobin count is so low, you get you get tired, and it, and it's a unique tired. I mean, you know, as a lawyer at a big firm, I'm kind of always tired, right? You right. you work a lot of hours, but but this is a different sort of whole body exhaustion versus just being tired. Um, but you know, look, you just like most people listening, you you know, when the experts tell you this is what you need to do to get through it, I am. Like I'm all years, you know, my, my, my whole career has been, 
hey, surround myself with people smarter than me and do what they say, right? And, and right. I'm the same way at the hospital. So, you know, I'm at Johns Hopkins, one of the best cancer centers in the world, and I'm surrounded by these amazing doctors and nurses. And so when they tell me, hey, no matter how you feel, you got to walk a mile today, I am in that hallway walking a mile, right? No, yeah. no questions yeah. asked. And I think, I think that the willingness to recognize the expertise of others helps you get through this. Right. So on that note, you know, just can you talk a little bit more about because, you know, you you sent me a video of you ringing the bell. And through that, there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, a series, a bunch of different pictures with all the folks who work there. Um, and so just, you know, just I guess the the culture, the compassion and the and the in the, you know, expertise, just your thoughts on sure. what you saw and experienced at Johns Hopkins. Yeah, I, and I cannot. I am, I, I am the biggest cheerleader for Johns Hopkins Medical Center and the Cancer Center in the world. I think. Like, and I, and, and frankly, I would, I would feel the same way about them, even if the transplant hadn't worked, because the compassion of the nursing staff there and the professionalism was was so unbelievably good. I mean. Every nurse to attend, and, and you see the pictures in that video, right? Those, right. Like those are genuine, genuine, compassionate smiles. And, and the fact that they all, you know, that they all wanted a selfie with me was, just, was awesome. And that I wanted a selfie with them. That, I don't know, it was a family. And they took away so much of my fear and, you know, so much of my worry and at the same time, you know, brilliant medical professionals. But, you know, you kind of expect that. I just, I just don't always expect such a high level of passion and love in the world anymore. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's too sad. That's been beaten out of me, perhaps. But, but Well, boy, you're a lawyer. So... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's part of it, right? I, I get right. called in when things aren't going well. But, um, yeah, the, in fact, there was this one moment, and – and I, I think about it still where I, I was in the hallway doing my walking around and this nurse came up to me and said, Hey, Mr. Aaron, Ian, and I correct the news. My whole room is a first name room, doctors, nurses, me, no Mr. Aaron, no doctor, whatever first name. And I said, you know, call me Jonathan. She said, Jonathan, I got to tell you, you are the nicest patient we've ever had. And, and it struck me because I'm just kind of, I'm not different from anyone else in my view. I'm just, you know, I'm just friendly. And I said, I said, why do you say that? She said, because we hear the way you talk to the cleaning staff and the food service staff and the technicians. And she said, you're just, you're just nice to everybody. And, and my response was, you know, but everyone's nice to me. Like, how can, right. how could it be otherwise when everyone there is saving my life? And, and it was just, I don't know, it was just a beautiful thing. It, it made me, it made me just re, it, it reaffirmed my view of being good to everybody and, um, you know, kind of how that all goes around. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I hope people remember uh, coming out of this. It's, and that's a great observation. And I think it's one of the things that we all forget that, you know, we're all in this together at the end of the day, right? You know, it's this human condition. And it's like, it's just good to be nice to be people, right? At the end of the day. It, it, absolutely. And it, and and even if, 
even if your life didn't depend on them, it's, it's good to be nice. Right. And, and that's how I, well, you know, and, and you're the same way. That's how we practice law. Um, and, you know, and you always wonder, at least I always wondered whether going about life that way, treating everybody good and, and being friendly to everyone and having a smile and being optimistic, whether, whether people will remember that. And I, and, you know, usually you don't get to find that out until your funeral, where it's too late for you to recognize whether you were successful or not. But, but, but I have this weird, lucky opportunity if the way I treat people mattered. And, and from the emails and calls and letters I get from but opposing counsel, government lawyers, like uh, people from the police department that I monitor, like people who you know have no particular incentive to love me, um, were just unbelievably supportive and and further confirmation that I am you know I am never going to change my view that you treat everybody well uh, regardless of the reason and this right. was just a major confirming life event. All right, well, Jonathan, we're up on the break, um, but when we come back, uh, you know, I have two maybe three questions for you. Um, and, you know, and there one is, you know, what role does humor play in, you know, coping with this, you know, with, with, you know, challenges in life, um, you know, the, you know, your family, um, and their support. Um, and lastly, if we have time, maybe a question like, what are you, what's your big, what are you looking at? Just one issue in government contracting that's, um, that you're focusing on because I know you do spend a couple hours, two or three hours a day working on stuff, as you mentioned. Okay. Those are the three things. All right. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, my guest today is Jonathan Ernie. Uh, he's partner at Shepard Mullen. I'm Roger Walton. You're listening to off the shelf on federal news network. Welcome back to off the shelf on federal news network. I'm Roger Walter. And my guest today is Jonathan Ernie. Um, and Jonathan, we've been talking about Jonathan's, uh, journey, um, you know, fighting uh, leukemia and um, his time at Johns Hopkins, his stem cell transplant. And um, and I guess I have a, a fourth question. Just real quickly, can you describe that process, the stem cell transplants? Uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned two people on a, on a gurney, like blood <laughs> transfusion, and that's not really the way it goes. Just quickly, what does that look like you to provide a picture for folks? And then we'll ask, I'll ask you about humor. Sure, sure. Yeah, the, the way it works is so um, the day before my transplant, so they, they call the transplant day, day zero. And then, and then it's minus before and plus after. So on, on day minus one, the day before my transplant, my daughter, uh, Jack, she goes in and she gets her blood drawn. Um, the way they typically do it is it's drawn from one arm, it goes through a machine, they pull out stem cells, and then the rest of her blood goes back into her body. So she doesn't actually lose a lot of blood in the process, but they pull up the stem cells. Pretty amazing technology. Uh, since Jack has small veins, they had to do it through a catheter in her neck, but it's, it's all the same thing. Blood comes, blood comes out, stem cells get pulled, blood goes back. Um, at the same time she's doing that, I get my full body irradiation. And then the next day on day zero, uh, I'm in the hospital, and it's just like any other transfusion. Um, I'm lying on a table. They hang up a bag, which you know, looks like um, blood, but it's not. And that drips into me over the course of maybe an hour. And somehow these, these very bright little stem cells 
find their way into my bone and say to themselves, hey, we want to become bone marrow. And that's how the process works. And then they start producing healthy cells if all goes well. Right. And you, and it was, didn't you, I think you told me like when we talked before that it was like those two, those plus days, those first two or three plus days are really just on your body and what, what you go through is it's hard to even describe. In fact, that's when I ended up in the ICU. So, so what's happening, right. Is, is, like a, a war is raging within you with, you know, the wily 21-year-old blood cells and my wily 55-year-old um, white blood cells, and, and, and they're fighting. And, and so in order to make sure jack cells win, they load you up with, with chemo. And anyway, your body, there's a lot of collateral damage, a, a, a lot of uh, friendly fire damage during this battle. And that's all to me, right, my body, because the war is raging within. So... That first night after the transplant, I, I spiked a fever of 104. I, I didn't even know people got 104 fever. And so I had to go to the ICU and stay there for three days. And, um, I mean, it obviously worked out okay. But, yeah, that was, that was a tough part. I'm sure I didn't, I'm sure I didn't look great during, during those three days. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, let's talk. You mentioned uh, Jacqueline. Um, can you talk, let's talk about your family just through this process and your wife and Yes. Yeah. So here again, how, how lucky I am. And there was actually a, a woman at Hopkins with me. Um, you know, everyone on the floor is going through the same thing. This is the leukemia floor. And, and, and this woman, she had no family there at all. And that just, I mean, made my wife and I cry. In fact, my wife spent a couple hours with her every day instead of with me, just so she could have support. And it, but it just, it just reiterates how important family and friends are. So, yeah, I got really lucky. My, you know, my two girls were amazing supportive and they both volunteered to be donors, as did my three nieces and nephews. So I had five potential donors, which was just the most wonderful day in the world when I, you know, when I learned that. Um, and I, you know, I actually think, and I, I'm not saying this because you're supposed to say this. I, I believe this with all my heart. I, I think it was much harder on Liza, my wife, than me. And, and, and here's why I say that. Because in those first 30 days, and like after the first day or two, where you're kind of trying to make sense of it all, like at the end of each day, uh, Liza had to drive home alone, you know, for an hour and a half, just with her own thoughts that her husband might die. Whereas me, you know, I'm in a hospital surrounded by the best nurses and doctors in the world, um, you know, hamming it up, having a great time. And, and she just had to be alone with her thoughts for so long. I, I think it was much, much hard on her. And, and you can't go through the transplant process without a 24-7 caregiver. So, you know, even though Liza is also working, she's been my 27 caregiver for this whole six months. Like, I can't imagine someone putting up with me that long. And, and yet, she, she does. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, I'm lucky. She's amazing. And likewise, family, friends, like, everybody in my neighborhood and our kind of friend group, they, they, they organized this thing where everyone would make a, you know, a dinner for us each night. Mm -hmm. So Liza wouldn't have to cook. Right. And just all these little things, you know, people from my office dropping by my house to get my mail. It's, it's all the things that, that you just don't want to have to think about. So yeah, the whole family, friend, colleague network was just so important and critical. And I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure, you know, I would have made it through 
but for that sort of support. Right. Well, and anyone who can spend 24 seven with you for six oh, months, I, I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, it's like Saint sainthood there or something. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. She's a, she's a Jewish saint. Right. Um, yeah. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's funny you say that about me because so I, I was, I was having dinner with a friend during that medical holiday. I was allowed to be around people, even though I had no good immune system, so long as we were outside. So I was having dinner with a friend and he said something that that struck me as very funny. He said, he said, Jonathan, you are perfectly suited for this. I'm like, what do you mean? Perfectly suited for leukemia, right? I thought he was giving me a dig. He said, all your traits that annoy the hell out of all of us are perfectly aligned to get you through this. And I'm like, okay, you, you need to explain yourself, dude. He said, okay, first of all, you are annoyingly optimistic. Um, you, you need that to get through this. Second of all, you have an energy level that also annoys all of us. You have, you think everything's funny, right? You see the humor in absolutely everything. You think everything's an adventure, right? He's going through this list. It's like every one of these things annoys us, but every one of these things is what's going to get you through this. And, and I think he's right, right? I, I think that one's mental attitude is just so important to get through any trial, whether it's leukemia or, or anything else for that matter. Right. Yep. And, you know, I've, I've, always, I've always just had, I don't know, I guess I, guess I thank my parents. I, I've, always, I've always kind of been that way. Everything is an exciting adventure, and, and um, I do have this annoying optimism. <laughs> So and so that's you know part of that that gets to the humor question I want to ask you just to, what role does that play getting through this I mean I I got your holiday card and it was quite <laughs> it was quite funny I must say <laughs> wait wait do do we have do we have forty five seconds so I can explain that yeah yeah sure sure okay I'll, I'll try to do it very fast so for those who don't know I send out an annual holiday card to my friends and clients every year and and they're very they're very self-deprecating. They make fun of my family. They make fun of me. They make fun of my kids. And anyway, this was a hard one to write because I had to, I had to tell people I had leukemia, but at the same time, I had to um, not make them down. So as Roger knows, because he has, he's had my cards for years and he has this one too. Um, this card was the, the, the top 10 best things about having leukemia. And there were things like, um, you know, all the free pudding you can eat. Once around the nurse's station is considered a good workout. And, and then the last one of the 10 was nobody bats an eye if you're walking through the hallway with your butt hanging out from your hospital gown. And, and then when you turn the card over, the last picture is me walking through the hospital with my hospital gown on. And if it weren't for a big censored sign over it, you, my, you know, my butt would be hanging out. And we all appreciate the fact that you put that there. That censored thing. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Every everybody does, uh, including the you know the nurses who had who had to humor me and take those pictures. Um, but you know, it was we we thought about what this card would be like, and you know, in lives is like, hey, well, it's gonna be you. And yeah. well, you know, I'm not a I'm not one that wants to bring anybody down, so we made fun of it, and that's that's humor has helped us get through the whole thing. Right, I think humor is is so, such a important yeah part of positive a positive outlook on life. Um, 
Absolutely. And, uh, and I know it helped you. And the card, the card helped a lot of people, I think. People, I definitely got a big chuckle out of it. I still have it up in my office. Um, <laughs> and I was going to ask you a, um, a question about legal stuff, but you know what? I'm going to ask you about, um, you wrote a blog for the D.C. Bar, and it's entitled, yeah. A Note to Young Professionals. Spend time with your family. Why don't we end on, on you just talking about the message of that blog? And, um, and obviously, you know, we share it here at the coalition with, with folks and a link to it. But a note to young professionals, spend time with your family. Yeah, that was, so it came out in mid-March. I think I started writing it in February. I wanted to, and I wrote it actually from my bed in Hopkins. Um, you know, I, I wanted to share kind of some lessons learned, and, and but the, the most important thing of this was, hey, lawyers, you know, you, you you're all wondering whether the struggle to spend time with your family and your kids in a meaningful way is worth it, right? Will your kids remember, and you know, will they remember the dinners together as a family, which was always very important to me? Will they remember the camping trips and you hope they do and and you know the theme of this was well I'm, I'm i'm living proof that they do remember and you know i tell the story about both kids wanting to be my donor and i tell the story about kind of growing up in a big law firm uh and and how how i was able to family first style uh even even being at a at a big firm uh and and you know more than anything i've ever written and i've written over 120 articles but None received the positive feedback that this one did, uh, and you can you can pull it off LinkedIn, you can pull it off the DC bar, you can you can pull it off the coalition, and you know if if you want a link to the radio show, that's fine too. But it was it was meaningful to me to write it, and my kids liked it, and the feedback I've gotten from attorneys at other firms has been so thankful that I'm very glad the bar gave me the chance to write it. Yeah, and I would just tell you that the thing that struck me the most out of it. And I think it's the thing that we all with families need to remember. And that's like, you know, you made an effort to get home for dinner with your family around the table. And that that's immeasurable. What difference that makes in your kid's life and in your life. So, um, just that, just the fact of doing that. So, yeah. And and the fact that when the, you know, the fact that when the kids went to bed, then you have to go up to your office and get the work done. Well, that is what it is. But the kids remember the dinners. Absolutely. And you do too, right? Absolutely. It it, it made me who I am. Yep. Yep. So, well, Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Um, I, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're doing great. Um, And it makes me want to invite you back to do an actual show on government contracting. Well, uh, I, yeah. I hope you do. I'm back to working 95%. So invite okay. me back, Roger. I will definitely do that. And I will um, look forward to having you um, uh, join us for the fall conference um, and give an update on all, all the great legal stuff that happened or are not so great legal stuff that happened over the course of <laughs> 2023. Uh, again, Jonathan, um, Great to hear from you, see you, and um, and great to hear you're doing so well. So, and keep it up, man. All right. I hear I plan to. Great. My guest today has been Jonathan Erney. He's a partner at Shepard Mullen. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. 
You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.